Time now for the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. And now, here she is, the smart, the sexy, the savvy, Divine Miss C. Welcome to my world. I am Lori Zook, and I'm having a special show today. It is a Masters and Legends music special. I love doing these shows, love musicians. I'm a musician myself. And I have a special guest. He is the multi-talented Bob Magnuson. And before I tell him to say anything, I want to tell you what he plays. He plays all the saxophones, the oboe, the English horn, the flutes, the clarinets, the Ethnic Flutes, EWI and WX7 Wind Synthesizers. He's played with a lot of famous people, and he's really into technology. So welcome to the show, Bob. Hey, thank you, Lori. What a nice opportunity. Boy, hearing all those instruments I play starts to give me anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a, I looked at your site and went, wow, he plays all these. And we're going to talk about that, but I always like to start at the beginning, Bob. So you know, first off, tell me, where, where are you from? Uh, I grew up in and was born in uh, Jersey City, New Jersey. Always that was close mm-hmm. to the Holland Tunnel. Okay. And, and I grew up in North Bergen, New Jersey, which was right next to the Lincoln Tunnel. So I always had this access to New York City and the skyline, and it drew me on from an early age. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm from your from your area. I'm a little west of that in New Jersey, but my mm-hmm. family's in the city, so I know all the all the you know the nightlife and all the music, sure. and that's the key thing about the Big Apple. But in, in your childhood, you know, when is it that you realized that you loved music and you wanted to become a musician? How, how old were you? Uh, you know, it's actually a cute story. I was nine years old, and they had, like, the regular grammar school assembly. And <clears throat> the teacher at the time was a trumpet player. His name was Tom Ziggy Harrell, not the Tom Harrell that we know is a famous jazz player now. But his, uh, Tom Ziggy Harrell, and he had a goatee, he drove a Camaro, he was the coolest guy, you used to always see him going in and out of the school. And one day he led this assembly program and brought in all these musicians from New York City. And it killed me beyond belief, because he was a professional jazz player himself. He played on the Merv Griffin Show Band, and he just did this grammar school job as something to, as a day gig. And then at 3 o'clock he'd go in to do uh, the show. So he brought in all these great players, and the, when the clarinet player played The Shadowiest Smile. I recognized the song because my father loved that song and he loved saxophone players and he loved Boots Randolph. So by the fifth note, I was hooked. It went, ba da da di da and the ah. <laughs> and my heart jumped out of my chest and in that moment I knew that's what I want to do. <laughs> Nothing that... more. And it was that clear and it was a moment. Now, did you have family members that also played or inspired or encouraged you? Just my father loved music. He always played big band records all the time. He's, you know, the World War II, uh, he was in the Navy, so he was exposed to a lot of music in that time. And he loved Harry James and dancing with my mom. So he was always hearing the music. But he loved Boots Randolph in particular, so he was always playing those records. So that got in my head. And then when I was, you know, 9, 10, he bought me a saxophone. And uh, it just started me off, and then I took lessons in the grammar school with this teacher. And I got into the oboe. That was the greatest gift for me, because I, my sister had played the clarinet. And she quit, but that she's five years older than me. So when it became my turn to take up an intru- instrument in school, the clarinet was dried out, and I played it for several months, and then it split. And I was like, oh, we don't have a clarinet <laughs> now. So he says, you should play the oboe. And they never have anybody playing the oboe. And it's like, oh, the reeds, the problem. But it was really a blessing because 
And he says, you get solos, and blah, blah, blah. Well, I was the only player. So the first concert, Silent Night, you know, I had an oboe solo with the orchestra, with the band. And it came to that moment, and my heart just always leapt out of my chest. Say, <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was always a great feeling, and still is today. So it was kind of a leading. And then he did the greatest thing. He would bring me to the Merv Griffin show to get reads because uh, he couldn't deal with the oboe reads. So he'd drive me in his Camaro. We'd go through the tunnel, go. I'd watch rehearsal. The first, I was nine years old. I saw Bernadette Peters rehearsing for the show. And it was like, oh, my goodness, I was the only person in the audience. He took a break. The uh, saxophone player would come into the audience. I'd have my band music. He'd give me a 20-minute lesson, give me a read. They'd go back, rehearse. Then he would drive me back to my house. And then he'd go back in for the live show at 7.30. Oh, my God. I can see why you got hooked. I mean, it, yeah. it, had to, it was a cool thing, right? I mean, to, to play and to see all that and think, wow, yeah. I could do that, too. I went through the stage door, and I was like, I grew up in, a, in a, a great town, but it was like a modest dead end, you know, as we called them. Right. I guess colder sack now, but it was definitely a dead end. It was just, that was my life. My father was a roofer and a fireman. All of a sudden, I'm going through a stage door and lights and camera action. It was like, oh, my goodness. So I just kept playing the oboe, he encouraged me, and then when it came to go to college, I got a full scholarship to play the oboe, so that just kind of encouraged me more. Well, I, I want to back up just a little sure. bit, because when I read that list of instruments that you play, I mean, I, I originally played clarinet and then saxophone, mm -hmm. Yeah, but usually you, you pick one, one but some, you know, professional musicians may double or triple up, and sure. most, most may play one or two well, but you play so many well, so you, you started out you know, with one, how did that develop into all these different instruments? though how, how did that happen yeah yeah when I look back at it, it is confusing because I go boy you should just play one and be like a master on one instead of a jack-of-all-trades and but anyway what happened was I just I feel like an alchemist of sound because my first professional opportunity uh, when I graduated college I got a gig with uh, doing an off-Broadway show at the public theater and Jeff uh, Joe Papp was the producer and he was I knew of him, and I was like, wow, he's cool. And Elizabeth Suedos was the person that was uh, wrote the music and the script for this play, and Meryl Streep was in it. And I didn't really know Meryl Streep. I'm going, wait a minute, she was in a movie, Kramer versus Kramer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I so I, I was very naive, you know. I, I wasn't into theater or anything necessarily at that time. So I showed for this gig, and I auditioned, and she wanted me to play everything. So I'm playing musettes, oboes, shanais, bamboo flutes, clarinet, and she would make me improvise parts. I was part of the show. I, had a, I was like literally a stage actor. Then they did a movie. I got to hang out with Meryl Streep. I had solos to do with her when she would be the White Queen or Alice. It was an Alice in Wonderland theater production. So I had all this contact, and Debbie Allen was in it. She was I remember Amanda her. Plumber. Amanda Plummer. Um, Oh, Mark Lynn Baker. They were all unknown. Michael Jeter, uh, he was in the Green Mile. I mean, he, they all went on to great careers. So it was fun to be around these people, and I watched them improvise, and then I'm improvising music. We like that. So it had a background of jazz playing and interest came out in another way in the theater. Well, you know, so I just kept picking up instruments, and then she said, could you play the tuba for this and play something else and pick up the musette? And I just became like, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. So it, it got me interested in the other instruments that way. You, you had to figure out, though, because the fingering is different on different instruments. Like oh, yeah. Like clarinet to saxophone to oboe. You, you yeah. have different fingering. So they would say, we want you to do this, this, and you would go home and say, oh, my gosh, I have yeah. to learn how to do this <laughs> instrument by tomorrow. Yeah, oh, all the time. <laughs> I mean, that, I got then after I did that theater stuff, I got into Radio City. I played there for a couple of years, and I was a doubler there. 
and then Broadway shows, and I just kept learning more instruments. And I didn't really care for Broadway music necessarily, but it was an opportunity to be nervous and you know read music and sight read a lot. I subbed on a lot of shows, had my own shows. The pressure of solos, don't squeak on the clarinet, you know that one. Yeah, and you can't so make you can't like make that. a mistake. Nope. Yeah, you can't make a mistake yeah. in a Broadway show. Right? No, you can't make a mistake. So it was just great for equipment. When you're playing the show over and over and over, you're, is this mouthpiece really good? Is this horn good? Is the reed good? Eight shows a week really refines that uh, judgment for you to know if your equipment really is working accurately. I got it all you. works good at home until you know your heart is pounding and the conductor gives you that downbeat and you have a solo and uh oh <laughs> right right you don't want to make any mistakes I yeah, can tell you yeah. I can tell you some good stories where I soloed and some really yeah. bad ones so I won't tell yeah. you I won't tell you about yeah. the bad ones but um, yeah. now you play wind synthesizers so maybe explain sure. explain what that is those are are digital musical acoust- uh, yeah it's just like equipment? a MIDI keyboard you know just a regular electronic keyboard only you're doing it with your breath so it's kind of like a, you can set up the fingering to be a clarinet or a flute fingering whatever you're comfortable with so it gives you that option and it has lip pressure, breath sensitivity, you can pitch bend with the mouthpiece, I can do a bend on a note. And it was just great technology to utilize, um, because keyboard players were taking away all the work. And then uh, Michael Brecker, people like that, got into it and made it more public, and I was good friends with Michael Brecker, so I used to get to hang out with him and program wind synthesizers, and it was just great to do that period of time to do it. I still use them. But um, I tend to not use the wind synthesizer as much now because I play so many other instruments. I've been playing the trumpet in the last six years, and I have a baritone horn, now, a piccolo trumpet. <laughs> I, I, I got to ju- like, I gotta jump in here because yeah. you know you, you and I know this. You, you, know, you and I both know Glenn Zatola, and he's one of the few people ah, that does well on both. He's a master. Yeah, on brass, which has a different embouchure than woodwinds. So, so was that a big change? being able to no, add it, in? You know, it's frustrating for me because Glenn is a master. He's a prodigy. <laughs> I mean, he's just an amazing guy. I love him so much. He's just a, He inspires me. Uh, and I've only recently gotten to know him really, really well. I've known him for years, but then we've had contact through other interests, and uh, so I've been exposed more to his music. But he's a real trumpet player. I'm just somebody who can play in my underwear with, and punch it in, you know? That's, I'm not going to go out and play it live, but I certainly have appreciation of the guys who really do it. You know, I used to always say, why are they so loud? And chops, they're always worried about their chops. You know, you have days where you can play a note and days nothing comes out. Right, right. But Glenn that. has a mind, he can play great jazz on the trumpet and sound like himself and then pick up the alto and sound completely different, not play anything yeah. like his trumpet play. He's marvelous. He, he's, an, he's an instrument himself, I think. Oh, yeah, he's, you he's know? great. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> well, I think you're great because I've been listening to your to some of your audio here and we're going to play an audio clip for a moment and then you can, oh, talk, okay. about, you can talk about it after. So hold on oh, for just okay. a second. Sure. <laughs> oh, summer's gone. All right, so. Hi, I'm Bob Magnuson. Tell us, yep, there we are. Yeah. Bob Magnuson. Bob Magnuson. Yes, tell us a little bit about that that, that audio clip. A very, very sultry, very sexy sound. <laughs> that's a curved soprano, and that's uh, a performance that this uh, pianist Mike Longo. He played with Dizzy Gillespie for 30 years. He's he's his musical director, and he's a great friend of mine. And I've known him for over 20 years. I had studied with him, and I played in a big band with him, and in a sextet. I produce his jazz records, and uh, he's just a great friend. And he, 
he pulled me out of the jingle business and saved my life. <laughs> wow. Well, we're going to talk about jingles and yeah, yeah, and a little bit. What I want to do is I want to cut. We're going to cut to a quick commercial break. So don't sure. go anywhere, Bob. Hang I'll on. I'll be right here. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Do you suffer from back, neck, or body pain? Do you suffer from migraines or have jaw or face pain? Has conventional medicine failed you? Were you injured or in an accident? Call chiropractic physician Dr. Dan Maddock at 813-935-1664. Dr. Dan has helped thousands of patients gain relief for more than 30 years. Dr. Dan is caring, gentle, and takes his time with each patient. He's also a past president of the International Craniopathic Society, a special certification of only 300 chiropractors worldwide. Dr. Dan helps patients from the neck up and the neck down. Dr. Dan accepts most insurance plans. Don't continue to live in pain. Call 813-935-1664 today. That's 813-935-1664. And get on track to better health. Our highly competitive and hectic world is fraught with dishonesty and challenges. Critical decisions must be made on a daily basis with accuracy when substantial assets are at risk. When you are confronted with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Sharpline Investigations, statewide experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Sharpline's professionals work with clients to conduct interviews, deep background investigations, and develop facts and intelligence related to litigation. When circumstances require confidential and expert fact-finding, turn to Sharpline Investigations, the statewide leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit sharplineinvestigations.com or call 855-394-0042. Welcome back to my world, the world of Lori Zook. Uh, if you tuned in a few minutes ago, you'll know my bet guest is Bob Magnuson. This is a Masters and Legends music special. I love to profile uh, very well-known musicians, find out their life history and, and how they got into music. Now, Bob, you mentioned a little bit earlier about music training. So can you talk a little sure. bit about your formal music training? I mean, did you have you know, 10 teachers for 10 instruments? You know, self-taught? I kind of like that. I, though I had a great <laughs> teacher in college. I went to Jersey City State College because it had a great jazz program. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a teacher there, Alvin Fosner, who was a great oboe player, a doubler, such a knowledgeable man, very giving of his time and always giving me reads and nurturing me constantly. And so I had a good education there. And then I played in the orchestra and I played in the jazz band. I played first tenor in the jazz band there. I had a, not playing the ensembles in my fourth year because I was doing off-Broadway shows in New York, and I was close to New York and from Jersey City. Right, while so, you were in college. That's, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, uh, and I started college in my senior year of high school, which also helped me. So I had a little bit of an advantage on the jump to uh, keep studying privately. And then I studied with Eddie Daniels, a great clarinetist, for a time, and Bert Lucarelli, a wonderful oboist, Harvey Estrin, a studio flute player, doubler in New York. Jimmy Jufrey, great jazz player, I studied with him. Uh, Marshall Brown, a great jazz arranger and uh, pedagogue teacher in New York, uh, valve trombone player. And there's more just along the way. And then Mike Longo I studied with for 
solid five-year period. All right, so you basically live, breathe, and, and eat and sleep music. Do you do other things, or is this your thing? Because it sounds like this is your thing to do so many yeah, things. Yeah, you know, I got to tell you, I am a multitasker. I don't know how mm-hmm. mentally healthy it is, but I am fairly calm, I think. I'm usually full of a lot of enthusiasm that can drive people a little crazy. But, yeah, it is a 24-7 thing. I mean, I've, I got into the jingle business. I loved that. I used to see all the great players, and it inspired me just to be around Michael Brecker and David Sanborn, people like that. Even though we're doing a Dr. Pepper commercial, I would learn so much from them. Then I would think, how can I use this knowledge of learning how to play with sound that would grab you, what we call the money notes. You know, like David Sanborn could play two bars and go, boom, it would just grab you. So that already always fascinated me. So it kept me going and studying and studying, and then great singers I work with, like I work with Jenny Mathis a million times. I'm working with him at the end of October, though. I'm looking forward to it. But he inspired me, his instrument. I worked with him in Radio City for years all over the tri-state area, Patty Austin, people like that. Phoebe Snow I used to love to work with. In the studio, I used to always do the General Foods commercials with her, and she always wanted the same quartet. It was like Mark Egan, the bass player, myself, Cliff Carter. She always wanted the same chord there, and that ran for two years. We would do that. And it was just amazing to be in the studio with people like that. Michael Bolton, I used to do Diet Coke commercials with. And like, oh, my God. I remember those. Stimulate me. Like, oh, and then I play saxophone solo. So it was like, wow, I'm part of this. I'm part of this. So it just made me practice and keep getting better, and people would hear it, and I would get better work. So it's been fun. And then I got my own jingle business. I did that for three years and hired musicians. And I started contracting musicians and worked for other uh, jingle writers and producers and did contracting for them. And now I still do it. I do mostly things, everything online now. For the last 17 years, I've been doing all my recording from home. I do movies, all kinds of film scores for all different kinds of composers and people. I did a project, Paul McCartney, last year, Shaka Khan, everything online. Send, 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 you know? You don't sleep. You don't sleep. I do. My wife <laughs> cools me out. and I, I, My wife keeps me really calm. I got married in the last four years, and I'm extraordinarily happy, so I don't like to go on the road as much. And I like being home, so the online thing really helps me. Uh, and now I'm into more video things. I'm into the technology, the future and stuff of so many possibilities for musicians. People say the music is, oh, it's terrible, it's terrible. I think there's big opportunities. And most of them are not, don't, you don't have to spend a lot of money. <laughs> That's all. It's yeah. there. And there's a learning curve. So whenever I sub on Broadway shows or anything now, I tend to read manuals and things in between the numbers. <laughs> gotcha. Well, let me ask you, back on the, on the, on the, on the music training. Sure. Was it, did you, it's because it sounds like you could do everything from, from classical to, could you do everything? Well, I mean, I was a guy who wanted to be a multifaceted player. I always, I grew up looking at albums all the time to see who the studio players were, who the doublers. George Marge was a big influence to me. He was very popular with Bob James. He was a very straight-ahead doubler. He could play all kinds of things. He wasn't necessarily a jazz player or a stellar soloist, but he got in there and could play the bass clarinet and ocarinas and everything. And he knew how to hang with all the jazz guys, and he was a utility guy that was used. And I got to know him. And he taught me quite a bit about the business. And unfortunately, he passed away at a young age. He was only 50. And then it kind of there was some little bit of opening more because I was the younger guy. And then because I played jazz, I created my own kind of style of who I was. And I wasn't hired by contractors. I was really hired by composers, which was better for me. Because contractors would hire a guy, I need a clarinet player. And then you go in and read the part and play. I was always hired to maybe come in play in the ensemble but then play a solo you know so it was it was nice 
it gave me a different approach towards that business instead of just being a solid uh, player for sessions. Right, because you're available to do many more things now. Yeah, <laughs> then they started to know me, and then I play with all these studio guys. We play at McKell's. That was a great club in Manhattan. Everybody would play there, and I'd play in funk bands, and then we'd all invite down different composers we knew in the jingle business. So they'd get to see me play in the sax. Some people would say, I thought you only played the oboe. You know, oh, you play the saxophone too. And so we used to use that. That was our Facebook. You know, to get yeah. out there, and it worked great for us. You know, we'd all invite so, different people, and it would influence them. So, Bob, you, you you started really playing professionally when you when you were in high school. Now, it sounds like how you got established was, and let me ask because you know, obviously, we have people listening who who are aspiring musicians. Sure. The connection part of it. It sounds like you you got in with the right the right people initially and did so well. How important are those connections? I, yeah, you know, it is crucial. Like, I'm, everybody uses the Internet, and it's my biggest argument now because I'm a phone guy. Like, I would see composers at the end of a film, and I'd look in the union book to see if their name was there, and I'd call them up. And I'd write down a few things on a piece of paper, like, okay, just say this, say this, and right. just try to get in. And I would get, you know, knocked down. But then I'd also connect with some of these guys, and they'd have a conversation with me. And then I would get, they'd say, how old are you? And I'm this, oh, my son plays the guitar. You should know him. And these have been lifelong relationships in some cases, where I got to know their fathers who were the composer, and then just by so calling. You, 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 know. you basically cold-called composers? Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely, because then I could tell them what I did. I could tell them what my best thing was. You know, I could be casual. And, you know, and then I could send them music. And it was just an, a better way for me to uh, keep my wonderment going. Well, let me ask you this, then. If I don't know how, how old you are, but when you initially did this, was the Internet available? You were, you were just picking no, up? No, no, no. I'm 59 now. Okay. No, that wasn't available. That's so, why all of this was like I was hanging out at the stage doors to see players when they come out of a Broadway show and give them my card and get shot down and say, hey, you want to play duets? You know, and some would say, sure, kid. If you, you really can play the oboe, come on, let's play duets. You know, and I right. go for it. And I enjoyed it. it was, That's it was awesome. Let me ask you another question. Though. Do you think it's changed now, the technology and time where, you know, if someone's aspiring to be a musician, okay, back then you would have picked up the phone because there was no internet. You had to call yeah. or you had to write a Absolutely. letter. Do you, Absolutely. do you think now that composers, do you think that people are lazy? Do you, do you think that aspiring musicians go, hey, you know, I'm just going to send them a message through Facebook, maybe they're, or maybe the composers are going, I really don't want to deal with people. Do you think that that part of it has changed? Well, there is, yeah, the impersonalness just doesn't work for me. I mean, you I don't even deal with my website too much because I just don't think it generates all that much activity. Um, my videos that I do on YouTube sometimes uh, will get people to email me because I, I endorse for several products, things like that, and create the dialogue. Um, but just Facebook, all this stuff, I don't think you're going to get all that much back from it. I think the cold coin, I mean, I used to hang out at different bars in between shows that the jazz musicians used to hang out in New York and buy them a beer and then give them your card and some older player would vouch for you. No, he can play, the kid can play, blah, blah, blah. And then they'd get some gig they really don't want to do. And then I'd say, I'll do it. You know, and then it would get me in. Right. So that's, that's awesome. Constantly being around. Whereas the internet looks good and your pictures and everybody has a you know, great resume because everybody 
you know, if they're on stage with someone once, they said, oh, I played with so-and-so, you know, so it's like hard to validate all the information. And I'm not a big person on resumes. I don't think they mean anything. I think you're as good as your last note. Yeah, that, <laughs> that makes sense to me. In music, in music that yeah. makes sense because anybody I'm can write anything. I'm not discrediting people's credits. I mean, everybody's you know, should put their credits of sort. But sometimes you go to websites, you see what people have been doing since 1978 of every job and gig, and then I'm like, I just don't think that makes someone hire you because I've been in that position of being a contractor. And I can go down a list of 30 people before one name jumps out at me that I say, that's the guy I'm going to hire. And it's for a lot of different reasons. But they all sum up quickly. It's amazing. Now you can look at a list of 30 people and boom, it, it jumps out at you. So a lot of factors. So to think you can just do it with Facebook and the Internet and social media, I don't, I don't think it's the only way. I still call people. I mean, yeah. Glenn Zatola, for example, we've had great phone conversations, you know, like where we talk endlessly. Yes, we, yes. You know, we send texts, but then it gets like, I can't say this anyway, pick up the phone. <laughs> you know, he does the same with me, and I love him. Yeah, I love him, because oh, he's, he's, yeah. he, yep, he, he's always got something good to say, you know? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And the energy of just contact, you know. Exactly. Calling people, you know, there was several months ago, there was a great producer, someone I've been seeing on Facebook. I said, I couldn't stand anymore. I'm going to call him up. I called him up. He received my phone call. We talked for an hour. And it was fun. So it made him, he, he welcomed my call. Where I was, oh, right. no, he's going to reject me. I'm just, uh, you know, he's a great producer. Oh, my goodness. But it, it just worked out. So uh, I enjoy that. Excellent. Well, don't go anywhere, Bob. Stay with us. We're going to go okay. to a quick break and back in just a second. All right. Okay? Sure, sure. I was so nervous about getting tattooed. But after doing my due diligence and checking This is Lori Zook, radio host from the world of Lori Zook. I was so nervous about getting tattooed, but after doing my due diligence and checking out companies and artists, I had my tattoos done by Justin Dubow of Suncoast Tattoos. He is knowledgeable and artistic, and he gave me a beautiful tattoo, and he put me at ease before, during, and after the process. I just love my new tattoo. Go get your tattoo at Suncoast Tattoos. Call them at 727-575-7935 today. That's 727-575-7935. Or go to suncoasttattoos.net. Are you looking for an affordable way to advertise to thousands of consumers nationally? If you own a business and didn't think you could afford radio advertising, you need to call me, Lori Zook, host of the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. My show reaches thousands of people on 29 AM and FM stations nationwide, as well as through the Internet. Additionally, your commercials will also be heard on all of my podcasts and throughout social media sites. Don't wait another minute. Call me at 813-777-4908. 813-777-4908. And let me bring your message to the nation and to help you gain more exposure.
welcome back to the world of Lori Zook. I've been speaking with Bob Magnuson. Uh, today's a Masters and Legends music special. And Bob plays almost everything, almost every mm-hmm. instrument. And so, Bob, uh, yeah. talk about some of the people that inspire, either inspired you growing up musically or maybe even today have inspired you. Yeah, like I said earlier, you know, singers always inspired me just because of the sound of, like, it's coming from their throat, the vibration. And like I said, Johnny Mathis, I know some people used to think he was corny, but to play with him live, he, the way he would spin a note, he would never miss notes. I mean, he'd go out there cool as a cucumber, and I would be electrified to hear him sing. And it just, I would bring that back to playing the oboe. You know, I'd bring it, like, can I f- play a note with as much freedom as I hear someone like Johnny Mathis sing a note? And like I said, Phoebe Snow was so powerful. And I go, oh, so I think vocally. And then I would use transference. I'd go from the oboe to the flute to the saxophone. Can I bring that quality to each instrument? So it was fine. And David Sanborn was very vocal, and he was very popular, just like Michael Brecker during the 80s. I mean, those two guys led the, the way of the sound of what was on the radio and what was contemporary. All right, now talk a little bit about some of the things that you've recorded, because I know you've recorded tons of things, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty interesting journey. I mean, I have uh, this group, Main Gazane. I, I had 30 years ago, we did a record. John Hammond produces the famous John Hammond. Bizarre. We sent him a videotape. He liked us. We went and met with him. He was an older man. He was quite dapper then. And he said, well, I'm going to sign you. And we were like, what? <laughs> and it was really funny. And again, the oboe helped me because he liked the oboe. I played the oboe on one number. And he said, the oboe. Nobody, not 20 people play the oboe. So it was, again, uh, reinforcement that I should be playing that instrument. But then again, that band went for a time. We all went our separate ways at another point. And I got back with the keyboard player, who's a close friend of mine. And we did four more records in the last seven years now. And that's all Spotify, if anybody wants to uh, check out that music. It's Maine, M-A-I-N, Gazane, G-A-Z-A-N-E. Okay. And then I did, that's, you know, commercial smooth jazz. Then I've done avant-garde records. I have five, six avant-garde records that I've got great reviews that I'm proud of because when I did that period of music for me. I did it with a drummer who was a personal friend of mine, you know, for years. We grew up together. And he would come over all the time, let's just play, let's just play. So just drums and myself back and forth, back and back, back and forth, play, play, improvise, improvise. And I just got into the avant-garde scene, the downtown scene in New York, and it was a period of time. And then I did all these records with some great players, and I got great reviews. So I let that period pass. Was that, was that the 80s? Was uh, that the 80s with the avant-garde? In the 90s. 90s, in the 90s. okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. I'm and just a little like, younger okay. than you. Yep. It was, it was, you know, intense and just what it was. I'm not necessarily revisiting that music. <laughs> you know, I, I seem to go through periods like that. Even when I got out of college, I played little bits with the Philharmonia Virtuosi. It was a classical group in New York led by this uh, conductor, Dick Cap, and my friend Robert Body, who plays with the New York Philharmonic to this day, he was doing freelance oboe gigs, and he'd get me on as the second oboe player. So it was like an experience of like the highest order, where I normally wasn't following a classical career. And my friend would get me on the gig. You know? So uh, It basically sounds like you could fit into anything. Someone would call you and say, I need this instrument or this, these instruments, and this is the style, and come and do it. Yeah, I would, be like, I would get into it and be consumed by it for a certain amount of time. 
Like, I'd be a classical oboe player for three solid months and wouldn't think about anything else if I could manage. If I was subbing on a Broadway show, I'd be minimal of what I have to do with reads or maintenance practice because I was f- totally focused on the oboe. Then there'd be times I'm just playing the tenor and I'm just focused on that and studying with Eddie Daniels or something and bang, I'm into this music and this bebop now. I'm studying it, studying it, and, I would, and then it would subside. And I go through periods of listening to Coltrane constantly every day, transcribing souls. Then it would subside naturally, and I go to Michael Brecker and listen to him constantly. And it was just phases and a rise and a fall, ebb and a flow. If I tried to stay on any one thing, it would it would fade for me. So the the thing of the multi instruments seems very natural to me. And sound and getting sound on instruments isn't hard for me, as I have a knack for that. I'm gonna say I could master playing. Flight of the Bumblebee. I just mean I can get a good sound on any instrument. It's just my ear you, you, does that. Yeah, you kind of remind me of me in that I'm a high obsessive compulsive mm-hmm. person. So it yeah. sounds like you, you like when I find a project, whether it's musical or not, I, yeah. I have to master it. And then once I have it mastered, I go, okay, next project. Yeah. And it sounds yep. like that you've kind of done that throughout your life is you've mastered all these different instruments and you've mastered all these different styles and you can basically be any part of the jigsaw puzzle. Someone says, do it, and you're there and you can just fill yeah, it I'm in. Yeah, I'm kind of like the, a character actor in a sense. You know, I accept the role. Right. And then I go out and do it. Like I play with Bernadette Peters uh, often. And I'll, I'm playing flute solos, saxophone solos, clarinet solos, oboe English horn solos. That's what the chair is. <laughs> and I like it. And I like Sondheim. And. I like being around her, and she sings marvelously, so it inspires me then to play that music. But I didn't set out to think that way. And I don't want to do it all the time. I like to do it like, okay, the gig's coming up, let me focus, now let me go do it. And as soon as I hit that last note, it's over. The next day, if I pick up the oboe, I just don't want to play it. Sometimes it just passes because I right, you've mastered get fixed, it. fixed towards that performance. It consumes me. I'm ready to do it. Go. And then I let it all go, let the energy go. And then all of a sudden I'm taking the baritone sax out of the case the next day. And I'm going, I'm going here for a while. That's kind of fun, though, because <laughs> that's kind of fun because you have so many instruments to choose from. You never get bored. Yeah, no, I never get bored. And I love to make reeds. You know, I still gouge my cane with the oboe and split the cane and all the stuff. It's my Zen experience. It keeps me very calm. <laughs> it's another world to make reeds. I love it. You never master it. You have to yield to the tendencies of the woods, you know, so it's like we're so used to phones and computers and things like that, which are wonderful. But this sharpening the knife, staying cool, the tension in my hands, it all reflects in the quality of the reed you make. So I like that connection to nature just for me. Gotcha. Now let me ask you, is is your wife also a musician or singer? And what does she think of all this? Uh, No, my (laughs) wife is a health uh, administrator for a mental health uh, program. And she just retired in the last four days. So, <laughs> and uh, she's very mentally sane and very calm and the sweetest person I've ever met. So we get along marvelously. And she uh, tolerates my noodling. We'll sit on the couch and watch a movie. A commercial comes on or whatever. I'm picking up the trumpet. You know, and right, she never right. says where I are making an overread, a toot the reed. So uh, rather than being in another room practicing continually and being away from her, I like to just hang with her and be doing maintenance practice gotcha. in, in those ways. So it works. And the, she doesn't get annoyed. That's the, that, that's the, together, that's the together time thing. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, right, right. You find fine, a way to yeah. make it together. I, yeah. I get it. I want to go back. You mentioned that you owned a, a jingle company. That, that sounds like fun. That's something I always wanted to do years ago. You know? yeah. So talk about the jingle stuff. You did that for a while, right? Well, yeah, what happened, it was a fluke what happened, actually, but from working for so many um, 
different ad agencies. I got to know the business and and the people and what was going on. And then at one point, I said, "Boy, I could. I think I I could have a, a little run with this if I wanted to." And it fell in my lap. A friend of mine who was a, a childhood friend says, "Let's go sailboating." A friend of mine works for an ad agency. I said, "Great, we'll go sailboating." So we go sailboating. And the guy's like, "What do you do?" I do this. I do that. We're hanging, having a few beers out in the sun. A week later, after I met him, he calls me up. He goes, can you do a uh, Chase Manhattan Bank uh, jazz commercial for me? I said, sure. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I never really wrote music in the sense of writing a commercial. And my friend was part of this. He played the guitar. Anyway, we organized the session. We got some star players. We went in. Boom, we did this. And he paid us $8,000. Oh, my gosh. Wow, that's a lot of money for a 30-second commercial. I never got that just playing. Right, <laughs> so yeah. I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Then the guy calls us, can you do another one? Can you do it? And all of a sudden it became like we're getting work. <laughs> and then we started to give us accounts, and now we had to have a legitimate business. So we had a fluke thing happen where we had gotten space. We got a space in Manhattan on 18th Street. Someone okay. had an open space. They said, go here. This guy might like you. I went there. He says, I like you guys. Long story <laughs> short, I'm going to give you the space. Just get some work in here. It was a three 24-track studios, and we did well. And then we had a Volvo account. We were doing very well with the Volvo account until they ran a bad ad. They had, like, Bigfoots crushing cars, and at the end of the commercial it says, the, the Volvo doesn't get crushed. And they go, wouldn't you rather drive a Volvo? But they didn't put simulation, you know, to show that it was a joke. Oh, I gotcha. <laughs> so the ad agency got sued, and we lost our biggest account. And oh. from there we said, we can't maintain this. But I had had enough because I, I still like playing, you know, and it, it's a business unto itself. So it's hard to be a jazz musician and have this free-spirited playing uh, attitude with all my instruments when you have accounts and clients and things to always tend to. <laughs> We're going to take a quick, a quick commercial break, so don't go anywhere because i got a little bit more to ask you, and I also want to talk about teaching and technology, so stay with sure. us. Sure. Okay. from back, neck, or body pain? Do you suffer from migraines or have jaw or face pain? Has conventional medicine failed you? Were you injured or in an accident? Call chiropractic physician Dr. Dan Maddock at 813-935-1664. Dr. Dan has helped thousands of patients gain relief for more than 30 years. Dr. Dan is caring, gentle, and takes his time with each patient. He's also a past president of the International Craniopathic Society, a special certification of only 300 chiropractors worldwide. Dr. Dan helps patients from the neck up and the neck down. Dr. Dan accepts most insurance plans. Don't continue to live in pain. Call 813-935-1664 today. That's 813-935-1664. And get on track to better health. Are you looking for an affordable way to advertise to thousands of consumers nationally? If you own a business and didn't think you could afford radio advertising, you need to call me, Lori Zook, host of the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. My show reaches thousands of people on 29 AM and FM stations nationwide 
as well as through the internet. Additionally, your commercials will also be heard on my podcasts and throughout social media sites. Don't wait another minute. Call me at 813-777-4908, 813-777-4908, and let me bring your message to the nation and help you gain more exposure. back and Bob Magnuson why don't you tell us about that audio clip oh uh, that's Mankazane and um, of course that's Naima the famous John Coltrane piece that we did our own version on that and we have a video on YouTube of that you can see me in my colored shirt there and (laughs) (laughs) my smooth jazz period (laughs) Jeff's watching the video here in the in the studio going very very cool so I'll have to watch it thank you now, yeah. you, you mentioned you play with a lot of famous people. When I looked on your site, you've played with Whitney Houston, B.B. King, Michael Bolton, Bolton, Isaac Hayes, Eddie Murphy, sure. Bernadette Peters. That all just started out through your networking and, and your ability to play all this stuff. Do you have uh, maybe a quick, short, uh, crazy musician story? Well, you know, it, it, I'll tell you, actually, the Bernadette is just interesting because I saw her when I was a kid, and then I did a Broadway show with her in my 20s, and uh, then I, and I even told her that story. She was at the phone one day. I said, hey, Bern, can I tell you a story? And I said, I was nine years old when I saw you, and she goes, uh, that was the first time she was on TV, she said, of national spot or national show. Okay. And she was amazed. She said, you were there. And uh, she's a delight. And now, how many years later, I do her own show that she goes out and does. That's got to so be that's, awesome. That's been fun. And, like, Eddie Murphy was a fluke, too. Like, I got to work with him for a four-year period, and he lived, I was living in, um, like, Tarrytown by Tarrytown, New York, or Nyack. And he was in Alpine, New Jersey. He wasn't far away. Right. I get this call. We Eddie Murphy needs musicians. Make a long story short, tonight? Okay. They said he wants somebody that can play everything. <laughs> okay. So I loaded my car with all my instruments, show up. And it became a four-year relationship of just showing up at his house and doing tracks. And he was always gracious. He was a gentleman. And I just enjoyed working for him. And uh, he did records that didn't necessarily go anywhere. And It was a fun uh, thing. But my name's next to Herbie Hancock's name on a record he did well, <laughs> i didn't great. meet him i didn't meet him but my name's next to it because he used every hancock on a cut when the record came out and wow. actually paul mccartney sang on it michael jackson uh, it's called love's all right but it was just a funny record of how he was trying to do music and he was very good but he came out on david letterman and they, he bowed to the people he says why won't you let me sing because <laughs> they just killed his records you know yeah but i thought it was going to be a ticket because he says bobby you're going to do the horns for me you're the guy and you know it was like this is going to happen yeah <laughs> and he just couldn't get then he became the actor and he's and he did really he, well yeah he yeah, did really, yeah, he really didn't well need to do that <laughs> wow. now you've also performed with other famous sax players like like david sanborn so my question is do you yeah. find that playing like when you go out and play these gigs are most people is it professional team effort or do you find that it's competitive sometimes uh, yeah, on that level, I never find it competitive. You know, like David Sanborn's the greatest guy in the world. And it's, oh, I never performed with him doing a jazz gig. It was always TV commercials or films, things like that. You show up and, uh-oh, who's sitting there? And there's David Sanborn. You've got to sit next to him. What I learned from that was, like, repetitive takes, how he approaches something when they ask for a change. And it was, like, lessons you couldn't pay for. It was like, oh, my God, how the variations of melodies he could play. And it always sounds so natural. 
And he was just an amazing instrumentalist. And, and Michael Brecker, people like that, you know, John Faddis, Lou Marini, Ronnie Cooper, all good buddies, Lenny Pickett, Alex Foster. They're all great guys. And it was always a privilege to talk to them and say, what reed are you using? What mouthpiece? How do you do that? Like Lenny Pickett's just wonderful. He does this altissimo register that's magnificent. You ask him questions, he'll tell you. You know, whereas like you could go see a live gig, you're going to enjoy a performance, but you wouldn't have the opportunity to pick someone's brain. So right. I loved all that. That was great. Yeah, and I read on your on your site that constant. St- I like this constant study is your passion. Yeah, because you you <laughs> you kind of yeah you always have to be. Do- I, I know what it's like I always have to be doing something. So you're always doing something, and it's always musical. As an advanced level musician, do you feel that you can always keep learning more, or do you peek out somewhere? Uh, you know, I got to tell you, now I'm learning more than ever because um, the future of things is what I'm so excited about. Like just yesterday, I painted an entire studio room all green because I'm doing video with green screens now. I endorse for companies, I do music videos, things like that where I play. I also believe that live broadcast is right there. I mean, I could Skype cocktail music right to your house from my studio and it looks good. Everybody has big TVs and sound systems. I see there's an opportunity nobody's even looking at. You know, I do this online recording. I work with, I'm just Skyping the other day, I'm working on a film with a composer in Switzerland. The only drag is the six-hour difference. Right, <laughs> right. You have a different time. He's saying, I have an hour and a half. I need these cues. And, I'm, and the reason I'm uh, interested in him is because he doesn't have musicians like me around in Switzerland. I have composers in Australia that use me. They don't have musicians that have the variety of techniques or soloing and it's just the instruments themselves and just then the technology itself. So I don't, you don't have to just be in New York. It's great but there's a big world out there, and I even have a meeting at the Union. They want me to give a little conference on October 20th to talk about these possibilities of things. And now live stuff is coming in where you can play in real time. You and I could do duets. If you buy this little box, I have this little box, you can get your saxophone out, we could play duets together. You, you can't there, do there's that. There's no lag time. You know, there's, there's no lag no. time, no latency. They're working that out, so it's going to be like I could be, have a horn section here and be projected onto a screen of a rock band's concert at a, at a big arena but do it from my house and here i'll be but be called a remote musician so that's i believe that's right there it's fascinating now, uh, whitney houston's going to do a world tour as a hologram next year you know it's, it's that's like amazing yeah i'd like to be and now they're saying how many dead people we have to compete with now they want to use oh, holograms no. Holy yeah. cow. So, so it's the, pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. Now, the, the Skype technology, that, that I find interesting because I know, you know, you, as a teacher, you can teach through Skype. Yes, and, and, absolutely. Right? Do I do. do I do use it for that. Yes, I do read making, anything. I, I endorse for a, a mouthpiece company. I show them how to fit the reeds, and it's, I use knives for my oboe technique, and Skype is beautiful for that. I teach, uh, I teach at Sarah Lawrence College. I'm a woodwind professor there, and I do makeup lessons on Skype. So it's it's great, but it's getting better and better. And I just bought a 60-inch screen for $700. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's getting cheaper. So this technology yeah. is booming. Wow. You're gonna, <coughs> excuse me. You're going to have a full-size wall screen uh, up pretty soon where you can see the whole orchestra, yeah. and then you're the star. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. do, let me ask you, do you think that the Skype is effective for teaching, assuming that the student is someone who already plays? Because I don't know that you could teach someone brand new to play an instrument where it would be as comfortable, right? Yeah. But, but if they've already played and they have some, some knowledge already, you know, as a performer... Yeah, that's why I like to do makeup lessons. At least I have a rapport with someone, or I understand his instrument and reeds and mouthpiece or the way he approaches playing. So then on Skype, I know where he's coming from. 
where if it's someone I don't know, their physicalities or habits, it's a little hard to detect that with the saxophone because there's so many anomalies with reeds and how tight the reed is and if it's totally straight or the cane he's using, I can't tell that on Skype. But if I have a relationship with him, I kind of know what he uses and then it it supports uh, the lesson rather than missing it. Gotcha. And we got about a minute or two till the end of the show. But I want to ask you real quick, what advice would you give to someone thinking about becoming a professional musician? The advice I would give is follow your heart. That's all I've ever done. And it sounds corny as could be, but I'm telling you, at nine years old, it was definite. And I've never varied. And I have a lot. And I think you can tell I have a lot of enthusiasm. I probably talk too much. But uh, it's still going strong. And the gigs come to me whenever I take out a particular instrument and start to practice it. Then a few days later, somebody will call me to play that instrument. It's uncanny how that happens. Mental telepathy. It's like your brain is calling out, Bob. I think that's great. I think what you do is great. And I want to thank you very much for joining me. Can you give out your contact information, how somebody can get a hold of you? Oh, sure. My website is leftearmusic.com. And, hey, email me. It's Bob Magnuson, M-A-G-N-U-S-O-N, music at yahoo.com. Great. Thanks again for joining me, and we're going to go out with one of your songs. Oh, great. Thank you. All right. Pleasure. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Sure.